You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Today, we're going to talk to a gentleman named Ted Lamb. I met Ted on Facebook. He's the administrator of Conservative Teachers of America, the national page, as well as helping with, I think, about 30 different uh, chapter pages they have in states around the United States of America. Uh, We're going to talk today a little bit about Ted's experience as a public school teacher for the past 30 years. Uh, He also served as a school board member for eight of those years and uh, got a really interesting inside uh, look at uh, education from an even deeper perspective. So imagine being a teacher and now serving as a school board member, so many uh, great things to learn from him. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about why he wants everyone to wear yellow on Thursday. So um, thank you for joining us and let's get started. So hi, Ted, how are you doing? Good, good, Good. thank you. So Tell me, Ted, you are a teacher, correct? I am. Okay. And you teach? I teach, I I am a a teacher. I teach um, American and world history in an alternative school. Also, since it's an alternative school, that implies special education. So um, I'm a special education teacher as well. Okay, wonderful. And so um, I was told that I needed to talk to you because you're part of something on Facebook and you're an administrator, I believe, and it's called Conservative Teachers of America. And um, I think there's like a national page and then there are some different smaller pages in states, I think. And so I would just love for you to tell us about Conservative Teachers of America, how you got involved in it and uh, tell us why we should all be wearing yellow on Thursdays. Um, so <laughs> why don't you jump right in and take it away? Well, okay. So again, my name is Ted Lamb. Um, good, good afternoon, good morning, good evening to everyone that's going to see this at some stage or time. Um, I am a um, I am a public school teacher. This will be my total, um, if I remember right, twenty uh, fifth year total. Um, that is teaching in Europe and Asia as well um, for for stints. And then um, where I'm currently at now, this will be my eighteenth year going into this. I've also served as a public um, a school board member, an elected school board member here in. Virginia, uh, two terms. Uh, some I got asked often, "Why don't you run for school board again?" My thought has always been, um, I believe in term limits from the president down to the local dog catcher. So my thought was, if that's something I believe in, then I need to hold myself to the same standard. Um, <laughs> plus two, it can get. I mean, I did eight years. I think I. Feel a little bit of what George Washington was saying, <laughs> you know, two two terms is enough. Bill Bennett, I, I had the opportunity and the pleasure to meet uh, Bill Bennett, Dr. Bennett, and he said that um, he likened serving on school board to being in purgatory. So um, it is, yeah. And so anyway, so I just thought that was always you know that always kind of rings in my head when I hear people talk about their school board service. It's a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. If you're thinking about running for school board, you should do it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you're done doing it, you say, okay, well, there might be other ways I can help. (laughs) Well, that, and and, and yes, and I agree. It's, it's a wonderful experience. You learn a lot. Um, but you know, I, I will not sugarcoat it. It's very difficult. In fact, you know, I thought that being in a classroom, I knew all there needed to know about education. Um, little did I know about education until I got on the school board. Um, 
And just like your comment there of every time you hear that, you go back to what William Bennett said. Also, too, when I was a um, when I was a student teacher and many years ago, um, my mentor teacher told me that the most political place in the United States is not Washington, D.C. The most political place in the United States is your local school board. Wow. How true they were. Um, wow. I, I, I lived it, saw it, experienced it, and it is so very true. I, 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 my prayer is that I hope parents, um, informed citizens, you know, and anyone that's got, um, that's got an interest, a passion um, in the public education forum, you know, my prayer is that they actually learn, start to learn exactly what your school boards has um, empowering over you, you know, because there's a lot of pull when you're talking several hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, that's, that's a lot. Um, we, uh, I've been married for 26 years and we have two children, uh, just graduated the last one. And we have our, I, I said two, two. And then we've got um, another one that we've taken on as our own. Um, and so, uh, We've homeschooled. We homeschooled the whole time because when um, when I graduated from Oklahoma Christian University of Science and Arts, it was to be a history teacher. But we took off to um, South Korea, taught English for four years. And when we came back, I went back and substituted in my own uh, Midwest uh, high school alma mater and just eight years, four years of going off to college, plus four years overseas, um, I looked around and I thought, oh my, what happened? Because I could Yeah, just, tell us what you saw, like what changed? Well, you know, again, I lived in, it was a small town, Bellevue, Ohio, not like anyone's going to know where that is, but, um, but if anyone's familiar with Cedar Point, the amusement park, I was 25 miles outside of that. So this is a small town um, at that time, pretty much, uh, very much an Italian town, if you will, um, population 8,000. You know, the biggest thing that was going on was uh, football on Friday night. That's where everybody went to the local high school game. And, you know, you were, so it was really very much uh, a middle-class traditional Midwest American town um, that I graduated from. In fact, you know, I would, uh, I was in the band, so I would be in band. And this is 1130 at night. Now, this is where people may shake their head, right? So it'd be 1130 at night. I would be done with the game, get on my bike, paddle myself down to my part-time job at Hardy's because they'd get a rush. And then about one o'clock, I would ride home about a mile away. You know, again, this was back in, um, oh gosh, 1991 you know, when you could do that. So when I came back, I just noted some very uh, interesting thoughts, meaning that, you know, the students, there was no, there was no dress code when I was there. But then when I came back, there was no dress code. <laughs> you know, people wearing uh, just um, like it was a 1960s hippie yeah. uh, approach. Um, the, you know, girls and boys just wearing cut up clothes all over the place and revealing. 
it seemed as though even with teachers, there was no sense of right or wrong or rules in place to say. Um, you know, if you just wanted to get up and go out of the room, you just got up and got out of, went out of the room. And this is in middle, um, you know, middle class, uh, Midwest America. So I'm not talking Chicago, Illinois, or, or any place like this. And anyone from Chicago, no offense, but I mean, you know, it was, it was a very different experience. And even then I told my wife, Marie, I said, you know, we might want to think this through a little bit. And you saw differences in the students' behavior. You saw that they were dressing a little bit differently. Um, did you see any different like accountability measures that were either had been in place or weren't in place anymore? Did you, were there? Um, hmm. I, I did in, in some ways. I mean, there always was that if you were an athlete, you know, you, your grades kind of got, you know, you got the pass a little bit, okay. but, um, but on this side, I started to see where the kids were starting to become more disrespectful, mm -hmm. um, towards staff. I mean, they were saying things that I never would have even thought about. In fact, having the thought would have put mouth in my soap from my mother from the grave. I mean, right. you know, and kind of a thing. So, yeah, I mean, I started seeing some things changing there a little bit, just how uh, students carry themselves, uh, what was important. In fact, not to be rude or disrespectful, but like, you know, I, we've all saw it, you know, um, in the boys' bathroom, you can imagine when I was in high school, it was pretty much the boys' banter messages that you would find on a stall, you know, kind of I've thing. not been in a lot of boys' bathrooms, so I don't know what those say, but right. I can imagine. The same thing does not happen in ladies' bathrooms. Just for right. Them. No, exactly. And that's why I'm trying to be discreet about it. Yeah. Well, I'll say it like this. So it's little messages that involve, say, cheerleaders. Sure. You know, and phone numbers, okay? That, I mean, okay. there Got you it. go. Got you it. Know. And that yeah. was back in like 1989, 90, 91, okay? Right. But when I came back, that changed because now these bathroom walls were like very racial in nature, really? um, very uh, four letter words, and, you know, like, um, I get it. F, F Muslims, this, that. I mean, it just, it was really? like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was weird. It was like we changed from, you know, basically high school senior boys thinking about what high school senior boys think about right. to, to now this whole world here in eight years. And it was like, again, wow, what happened in Midwest America? So at that point, my wife and I, we, we both were trained um, educators. And I started telling her what I saw. And we were like, yes, we need to start looking <laughs> at some different options. And so we started looking at private school and that was very difficult. And so we just decided to homeschool and we've done that from day one. So both of our children are uh, homeschooled, um, never, to, to, never got into the uh, school building, so. Wow, so you are a public school teacher, chose to homeschool your own children, but you've continued to work in public schools. And so Conservative Teachers of America, you're now an admin on that page. I'm sure there are probably a couple others, right? Yes. What, what are you hearing? What are you hearing from other teachers across America? What are they worried about? What's going on in, in our classrooms? Because you know, parents, you see parents all across the country, right? They're, they're concerned. And I think teachers are too. I'm hearing from more and more every day. Yes, and you should be concerned. Um, the thing that 
so what happened, how I got involved with the Conservative Teachers of America, it was, um, it was uh, just like some many stories that you're finding now from teachers. Uh, I was coming towards the end of my second term on the school board. And really for about the last eight, 10 years, I've started seeing, even in my own classroom, which is behavioral students, I started seeing more and more that these students were becoming more and more incrementally worse. Not necessarily behavior, but just being able to have a resiliency, being able to deal with just simple things in life that's going to happen. You know, um, you know, something that doesn't go according to plan or someone says something to you, not even a four-letter word, but just something stupid or silly, and you fall apart. And I started seeing that more and more, and I started questioning, what is going on here? Uh, you know, this is not education. What are we doing? What is happening? So I started researching um, different ways to educate students and, um, and found it. And hence, I um, will be opening a, an actual school academy uh, if, if all goes well um, next year uh, in September as well. And so about two and a half, three years ago, I was searching for conservative groups uh, for teachers. And I came across Conservative Teachers of America, which has been in, in existence since 2009. It was started by a gentleman by the name of Arnold Palmer, not the golf legend. Um, and uh, back in 2009, so I came in around 2018, I started making different posts on there. And so the admin of the page, the lead admin, um, uh, Kevin Matthews, he asked if I would be willing to admin. So I did. I said, sure. Then I find out that the national page had state pages. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and they said, well, yeah, but there was very, very few. So I approached Kevin and I said, let's do this. And so we started kicking it out and people volunteered to be admins on the different state pages. I think at this point, we've got about uh, over 25. Wow. And depending upon the state, depends upon how active they are. You know, there's, there's some that are very, very active and there's some that's next to not, at, you know, not active at all. So let's um, take a second. If there are teachers that are listening right now, they can go to Facebook. They can look for Conservative Teachers of America. They can look and see if there's a group for their state, right? If their group yes. does not have a state, is there a good way for them to try to figure out how they can get one going? I just want to make sure that we... Yes, there is. Um, in fact, if you go to Conservative Teachers of America, um, what, what you'll be asked to do, since it's a private group, and we do that for security purposes, um, obviously, you know, you'll be asked a couple questions, and then, you know, we do that. And if you're a teacher, fine, um, you get on. Then there's the link at the top of the page that says about, you know, you have the different links. Mm -hmm. So at the about, when you click on that, you can click on there and see if your state has a group. If it doesn't, you can contact me or any of the uh, other admins. And then um, Kevin, um, who is now in Alaska, <laughs> um, he creates all the pages. Okay. So it's, that way there's a uniformity mm -hmm. and so forth. And so if anyone wants to admin um, a page that's not up, great. Uh, we, we would welcome you on board. Um, awesome. 
So tell us, what do you, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and I also strongly encourage anyone that does have, um, they find their page, you know, up that's already created. I strongly encourage people to join those state pages and uh, contribute there as well, because um, what we found, you know, education is not a, bucks, uh, a cookie cutter. What's going on in California is very different than saying going on in Kansas or Wyoming, you know, and so being involved in your state page as well as the national um, is a huge plus. In fact, we've been able to catch some things by knowing that uh, someone will post something out of, uh, let's just say, for example, Illinois, you know, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I just saw something like that in North Carolina. So then I'm able to contact those admins and saying, okay, what is this? And um, so it's been good. Mm -hmm. I think it's awesome. I have to tell you. So I was able to join the national page and I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but I, I, I've gone on before. And if I've had questions about different things, sometimes I'll post something and people can respond if they, you know, feel so moved to do that. Um, I think it's great though, because, you know, as different as other places are around the country, there are, as you just said, similar things happening, right? And so right. great to be involved on your state page to understand what's going on in your state, but then having that overall view of the United States, right? Because you can start to see patterns of things, things that have happened in certain places. Like right now, we're seeing California is just mandating vaccines for mm -hmm. their students, right? Now we're gonna see how does, what does that look like as a, if other states choose to adopt that? And, and, and I say to people, watch the way it works because a lot of the same things work this way with curriculum and then other movements as far as really what we see at Moms for Liberty is the stripping away of parental rights. And mm -hmm. um, you know that's where our big main concern comes in. So, um, so I get on this Conservative Teachers of America page. It was really exciting to me because we fight and, and we, we're working to help parents to defend and protect their parental rights at all level of government. And mm -hmm. we believe that teachers are our partners in educating our children, right? So for all of us that have children in public school, I've got four in public school. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to partner with my children's teachers, but you'll hear me often say uh, I do not co-parent with the government. Right. So what yep. a breath of fresh air to be able to come on the page to see that there are conservative teachers that are coming together and mobilizing. So tell us what happens there. Well, it's been, it has been absolutely interesting because even after we got those state pages up and going and then I'm having a couple of Zoom meetings with some admins, you know, from those pages and kind of getting things like that. I noticed a shift just in the last 18 months. Um, let's just, I mean, let's just be honest, being a conservative teacher in a liberal uh, public education system does not win you friends or influence people, <laughs> the kind of a thing. And for many years, um, we've felt like we've uh, not only just being marginalized, but feel like you have to watch what you say and do. Um, there's been teachers on there that's got horror stories that of things that's happened to them. And, and it's only not because they did anything egregious or went against their contract, but seriously, it's Basically, um, they've, they've just done what the other side has done and maybe voiced an opinion or, you know, not necessarily in the classroom, and then they get targeted. Um, I know of two really good friends of teachers that that happens to. Um, I just so saw at a school board meeting, um, there was a teacher that spoke uh, with one of our groups, and as she was walking out, there were some teachers that were a member of the local union, and they went mm -hmm. like this to her as she walked out. And yep. um, 
that was just heartbreaking for her because, you know, she's got kids in the system and, um, you know, how much, I mean, to be, to be a public school teacher who also has children in the system, I mean, how invested, right, in your life and to exactly. have that happen, it's just not good. So we've got to elevate that conversation, right? So how can right. parents so, help? Yeah, so I want to get just, I want to get to eventually, before we end this podcast, I want to talk about how parents can help conservative teachers. So please continue. Right. Yeah, so, so, so about 18 months ago, I started seeing a shift where many of us, I started a campaign called um, You're Not Alone, because I wanted other conservatives on that page to start to understand that, you know, it's not just you, <laughs> you know, in that school district. Yep. Um, and so over the last three years, we've grown from about a membership of 1,900 to over 6,600, um, I think, at this point, last time I checked. Um I've also noticed too that teachers, because of the things that are happening, as far as like CRT, um, the LGBTQ mandates, um, the uh, Black Lives Matter curriculum, yes, Black Lives Matter has a K-12 curriculum. Many teachers are start saying, conservatives are saying enough is enough, I'm done, I'm tired. And so what has started to happen is some of them are retiring or moving into other fields. Others are saying, I will start teaching learning pods or I will create my own school or I'll go to a private school. And some of us are actually saying, you know what? I'm going to walk, but I'm going to make sure that I get do as much resisting as I can right now <laughs> to finish off what needs to be done here. And then I'm going to move on kind of a thing. So um, don't be surprised if you think that there is a teacher shortage now, you have not seen anything yet. And the problem is you're going to have all the good ones are going to walk out. And so you're going to have what's left um, of a public education system is going to be what's, well, what's left of what everyone is arguing or well, upset about and rightfully so. The problem is conservative teachers over the years, and I say probably 20 years. We've tried to get out the message of what has been happening and no one was listening, right, wrong, or indifferent. It just what no one was listening. But again, why should you? I mean, I, I think I told you this before um, that, uh, you know, President Eisenhower, when he was leaving the presidency, he gave a, his final speech and he said, beware of the military industrial complex. Well, I believe, and this is a term that I've just came up with, that I believe that today, parents, you are facing an education industrial complex, meaning that public education is so large and a variety and variance of where do you even start to cut the elephant to try to start eating it? There is so much at this point. You could spend, again, I thought I knew a lot before I got on a school board. I learned I didn't know much of anything until I started learning and seeing what's out there and what's being pushed and what has been put in place. And the amount so. of money spent and the amount of money spent, the, the, it's so interesting to me. I'm on Twitter and, and you know, every once in a while I'll po I post quite a bit, but every once in a while there'll be some comments. And a lot of times it's from like professional development people and all these mm -hmm. people that make so much money off of education. Right. And um, yes. And, and that's something that I think we see across the board. So uh, what you said about the idea, do we think we have a teacher shortage? Just wait, is scary. That is just, you know, and when I see here in New York, the mandate for teachers to vaccinate or lose their jobs, 
you know, in this moment of crisis for kids in our country, and the, you know, I've said before, the kids are not all right. What we have done over the past 18 months, the masking, the quarantining, the school closures, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these things, th this is not putting children first in America. And when I see one of their lifelines being cut off, like teachers, good teachers that wanna be in the classroom teaching, being pushed out of the classroom, Ted, it doesn't make sense. Why is this happening? Well, it, it well, it doesn't make sense to us, but it makes sense to the other side because here is what what is what is happening, and I am firmly convinced of this. And I, it might make me sound like a quack or something like that. And I don't mean to, but as a history teacher and and just looking and so forth, I do believe that the other side um, has a very well thought out plan of really wanting to bring about a socialistic stance. I mean, you know, system. Again, when you see things like, uh, say in history, right? When you see things like uh, the 1619 Project, which, you know, you look at that curriculum, uh, you know, basically saying the, the United States started in 1619 off of the backs of slavery. No, just go look at primary sources. When you start to see things like across the United States, and I think it was out in Washington, state of Washington, Oregon that says that, you know, algebra and math um, is inherently racist. And so that's to cause a division. These are all a playbook, you know, of, of, of doing this and trying to destroy um, the system completely. And so that's what the other side is up to, to doing. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're going very well at it. I'm going to play for a second. Um, of something I posted earlier, there's a woman, her name is uh, Denise. Hold on, I've got to pull it up. Mm -hmm. Hold on one second. Her niece is yep. Denise Watts Wilson. And she posted okay. a video on YouTube and I just happened to come across it this morning. Have you seen this video yet? I'm gonna play, I'm gonna play the audio of part of it for you. She's speaking sure. to her school board. So it is in Oldham County, Kentucky. Okay. And uh, I guess they wouldn't let her speak at the meeting because let's, we'll get to that in a second, right? Parents right. no longer, you know, welcome at school board meetings to speak. What is, what's going on there? We can talk about that as school board member, you know, former school board members. Well, let's listen mm -hmm. to what Denise has to say because it really struck me this morning. The call of freedom begins with the call to make the absolute best of my limitations without forcing all of society to limit themselves for my sake. After this meeting, the score is undeniably Marxist CRT 1, Liberty with Responsibility 0. I trust that citizens who understand the value and true price of liberty will step up to bring to our community a board that serves us according to the spirit of our founding fathers under the laws of nature and nature's God, teaching, modeling for, and expecting from our rising generation the responsible exercise of liberty. Benjamin Franklin once said, and I paraphrase, to exchange liberty for safety is to have neither. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your time. Mm -hmm. 
And so Denise was denied an ability to speak at her school board meeting, I guess. I'm going to look into that a little bit because I think she'd make an awesome Moms for Liberty chapter chair out there in Kentucky. I'm going to mm -hmm. reach out. But, yeah. you know, that how beautifully stated right here. This woman right. has been denied being able to have citizen input. She cares about her community. We parents are, are speaking out and, and they care about their community. And it seems like we're not really wanted anymore. Right. Right. It's and, 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 and you know, and this is and this happens in in a republic. This happens. This has happened in education where it's been incremental small changes. I know you can't necessarily see behind me, but besides me having my yellow um, off to my right is a copy of the Declaration of Independence. And off to my left is George Washington. Um, and and so the problem is and I agree with her sentiments exactly. You know, but the problem is we have fallen so far away that most, and I would argue most, do not have a, a basic understanding of what freedom and liberty actually is. Because she is so correct with what she says that, and in short, and I paraphrase what she's saying, she's basically saying, I want you to be able to help me to rise up to be able to fulfill my strengths not for society to come down to where I'm at. You know, that's what I was hearing. And for every that. child in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about talking about math and, and, and being racist. I don't understand what that means as a mom. That makes no sense to me, um, you know. And, and so this idea that we're somehow, you know, not unfolding the full potential of every child in the classroom. What a horrible, I mean, that's what America's all about, right? Individuality and, 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 and the future of America coming from these beautiful children that are, you know, sitting in classrooms across America wanting to learn. Right, so, and, and you're right, and, and it doesn't take much if someone would be just objective, and I don't care what political stripe you are, but if you just was uh, objective, sit down and look at our four organic documents in history. And you will find out that the, those very things that you just said is, is there. The reason why the argument now is made that math is racist is because according to standardized uh, scores, you know, African-Americans supposedly, allegedly um, do not um, have the same uh, scores as Asians or Caucasians and whatnot. So the argument is it's racist because they don't score as well. That's what they're trying to think. Another thing that you could do there in Florida, Arizona, a, a Moms for Liberty across the thing, have uh, parents ask their school division, what's the lowest grade you can get? Now, you, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but many school divisions now um, will give a student, they don't get zeros anymore. They don't earn zeros. The lowest you can give is a 50. So if I have a child, right, that, that decides to look at me and says explicitly bleepy bleep bleep and not do an assignment, the lowest score I can give them is a 50, not what they earn a zero. And so with parents, and this is something to me where I look at this and say it's sending a horrible message to that student, but not only that, it's not being intellectually honest with you, the parent, because now when you get that midterm uh, a midterm report card and it says, you know, Johnny got or Susie or Moesha or whoever, Dante, got uh, a 56%, right? Well, did they really get a 56? Because in theory, it should probably be something like a 32, 
but you're not going to know that. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. So the school division is not even being honest with you, but we do that because we don't, and this is what they say, um, you know, we don't want students to fail and to feel like they're hopeless and can't get that grade up. So does that mean that we're, so, so one of the, a couple of things I know to be true, and we can talk about having been on school board in, in one second, but 95% of children have the ability to learn to read. I've done a, a lot of research and, and reading about literacy and the ability of children. So 95% of kids learn to, can learn to read. And yet like two thirds of kids are graduating from high school and they're not reading proficiently. So no. we're, we're, we're basically allowing these children to go through the system covering failure, not addressing yeah. the fact that they're not learning and doing well. And then we're graduating that out of the system, hailing that as success by these inflated graduation rates that are based on students who don't have the skill sets they need to be successful in life. I can't yeah. think of a, a more perverted system that operates off the backs of. American citizens and, and, and our children. It just seems totally backwards to me. So we, you, you said industrialized educational complex. I heard that. I'm, I, I agree with you on school board, the amount of money that was spent yes. and the amount of industry that relies on school districts and, and public education, including a lot of lawyers making a lot yes. of money uh, defending you know, school systems against parents unfortunately, right? We've seen right. that. So, you know, where do parents start? I, I heard you say before, it's like, you know, looking at an elephant, where do you start, right? To eat an elephant. And so at Moms for Liberty, what we've tried to do is we've tried to create a system and a network of parents across the country who are united and working together to be aware of their parental rights that are currently in law and statute in their state, to mm -hmm. encourage additional parental rights legislation in their state and to get more involved in their children's educations. But that's hard mm -hmm. right now because we're not really welcome in the classroom. Right. And right. then to have the National School Board Association coming out and saying to us, you know, well, you know, and some, some of these parents that are expressing concerns, if we don't like them, excuse me, Mr. President, we'd like you to call these people domestic terrorists. So, you right. know, here I am a mom, here you are a teacher, both former school board members. I like to say we saw behind the education curtain. Would you agree? Yes. A little messy behind there, right? Some stuff that people right. rather keep swept behind. So where do, right. we start, where do we start working together, Ted? Well, this is how we start. And I know that you had asked earlier for me to get to um, the concept of even where did the yellow idea come from? Why we were yellow so, on Thursdays. Is that right? Yeah, okay. that's correct. We were yellow on Thursday. So what it was is that, and this ties into your question, this question too about parents. So what happened was I realized that after 18 months ago, this never would have flown because everyone was still uh, scared you know, timid, if you will. Um, but the thing was, I was thinking about it over and over and over. And then I guess I got a good night's sleep one night and I woke up the next morning. I was like, I got it. I got it. I got it. And I started thinking a little bit like, okay, if the red for Eds can do it, then, then we can do it. So I called my good friend, Sherry Storia, who is a school board member in the next city who thinks like us. And I said, Sherry, I want us to put together a wearing a, a color, a shirt that we all could do um, each day, every every week, 
uh, well, I'm sorry, uh, once, one day a week, right. <laughs> you know, from here on out, yeah. and we need a color. And I wanted to show like us uh, that we are unified that and it would encourage us to let every know that we're not alone and that, you know, um, now's the time to make a stand. And she talked about saying, yeah, and we should also include there about protecting students' minds mm. with against the indoctrination. So that's where the CRT and so forth came into play. So then we started thinking about colors and we thought, well, geez, red, I mean, that's conservative. And then the red for ed groups got it. You know, we didn't want to do pink because that is tied more with cancer, you know, in some ways, breast cancer. We definitely didn't want to do the rainbow kind of a thing, you know, uh, because we didn't want the, the message to get construed as something like that. So she came out and she said, well, how about the color yellow? It's neutral. No one else seems to be, bar, you know, using it on a, on a broad scale, if you will. And it's something that shines, you know, it basically shines light on problems of what's going on. And I thought, you know what, I like that. And so on that same day, after the conversation with her in 45 minutes, I had put it on, on our Conservative Teachers of America page, the idea, and it took off. Um, I think we've had now almost at least one person in at least over 25 states um, that is doing this each week. Um, it's gaining momentum. And in fact, it was a teacher that uh, sent me the messenger message that the Moms for Liberty in Arizona, um, Maricopa, um, uh, found out about it. And then they said, oh, well, they put it out there on their membership of that, that's what they want to do. And I thanked them profusely. I thanked the teacher and so forth with that. And then, of course, then get a call about, you know, you and the national. So, when you say, when you say, how can we start to do this and work together? The, the big thing is that, yes, we start aligning, okay? And one of the things, and Sherry's story, the, the person I talked to, the other school board member, she's really big on this. And I think this is something, in fact, I talked to her about this this, this morning. One of the things that we could do, and if we can align this together, conservative teachers and moms, for liberty, align the sunshine and the FOIA laws to our advantage. So when we talk about that elephant in the room, maybe if we start saying, all right, let's pick an issue and let's then uh, decide what the question needs to be. So for example, all right, um, right now they've got these things called, a new, it's a new, uh, in some places new, but not in, in other places, you know, new administrator called the Director of Diversity, Equity, and, and inclusion. inclusion. Yes, part of the which, alphabet soup served to our children every day. Yep, which if you look at their job descriptions, it's all about promoting professional development that pushes, and really, when you think about it, uh, cultural competency, which in many ways is tied to CRT. I don't care what anyone says, just look at it. Um, it pushes uh, professional development on teachers with um, LGBTQ, gender identity, all of this stuff now. I've had to go through a couple. Of so using that FOIA, maybe to start, and, and you know, again, working together, Moms for Liberty and us, maybe we can even start targeting certain states or certain school divisions. Encouraging moms, grandmothers, common average citizens to say, hey, put in a FOIA or a sunshine request 
by email, you don't even have to go down, by email saying, I wanna know what is the cost of X, Y, Z, the amount of, of it, or the percentage of the school board budget that's going for that. This is just an example of, of things that we can do, you know, to start to go at that. Another thing is start organizing politically. You know, there's a lot of smart moms out there. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of smart fathers and grandparents and uh, average citizens out there that, that's really, I think, starting to pick up and say enough is enough. Uh, why can't we organize, really, both organizations even say around candidates to, uh, to get them in these positions as well, but hold them accountable when they get in there? Yeah, we're working, you know, we're encouraging moms. You you said you served on school board for eight years. I served on school board for four. I had four kids in the public school system when I did it. You can imagine that that was tricky sometimes. I don't think I, I don't think I recognized how, uh, how difficult it would actually be that part of it. Um, but, you know, unpack so many backpacks, Ted, right? So that I was seeing a lot of the work and stuff. So, you know, what I can say for the other, one of the things teachers can really help parents with a lot of this curriculum is digital now. The more right. you can send home and get in that backpack so that parents can see what's being taught, um, the better off that will be. Because I think there are some parents who don't even realize yet what their children are being taught in school and we need to see it, right? So that increased communication between the classroom and the, and the home, I think would be helpful too. So there's another way of approaching this too, without actually putting any teacher at harm. Most right now, all curriculum, and I would say probably in all 50 states, if, if a parent was to go to their state board of education website, and right there is usually on their websites, they have up there the state uh, curriculum frameworks. And so you can pull off right there what is being taught. Then if there's any questions, say, on that, maybe the two or, uh, our two organizations, maybe we form a committee, if you will, that is able to read those curriculums. And we know what the lingo is, because you're right, a parent's not going to know. You know, they might see the word equity and think, well, that's not a bad term, which inherently it's not. not yeah. But in public school, we know what that means, you know, kind of a thing. So maybe even forming like th that committee to where that um, parents start uh, pulling that down off of their state board of educations and we taking a look at it and then figuring out a way what our next move would be to how to approach and counteract this might be also a good way of doing this. I think that's a great idea. One of the things I'll tell you that I think is important and, and that we that parents are missing is that teacher's manual. So it's been very interesting. Some of these new curriculums, especially the English language arts curriculums in K through mm -hmm. five, the teacher's manual is highly prescriptive, right? And so just looking at the books and the resources isn't enough because it's the way that the information is being presented and the emphasis that's being put on certain parts of the curriculum and the lesson by the teacher through the teacher's manual. That's what we've found. And so I asked, I have um, a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Um, almost said he was nine. He'd kill me. Uh, he's double digits now. Um, but I asked to see his curriculum, K through five uh, ELA curriculum, English language arts for people that are listening. And I was told I wanted to see the uh, teacher's manual. And I right. was told I could go to the school district and I got 15 minutes and it would be supervised, but I wasn't allowed to take any photos. 
or any video. And if I wanted more than 15 minutes, they would provide an estimate uh, to me for what I would be charged uh, to view the material. I want to know what what what's in that teacher's menu. I have no idea. I don't understand. I, I yeah, I, that's in that's in an email from a public school district. So you know, parents. I, I want. It, it seems like even if there's nothing, nothing not that I shouldn't see, just creating these situations where there seems like a real lack of transparency does not make sense. Parents are a huge driver of student success, right? I mean, supposed to be yes. <laughs> Right. Um, no, I, in fact, if that was me, I would challenge that for the simple fact of that you sent an email asking that you want a copy of the teacher manual. And that is a textbook, which is open to the public. And since you sent that in an email that covers that usually is covered under the sunshine law or the FOIA laws. And even if you wanted to, you don't have to, but you can put it right in the email. This is a FOIA request. Or oh, this I did. Is it said this is a public records request. I sent it to the public information office. It's a, it's a formal email back from their public information office telling me 15 minutes supervised. Now, see, that's where I would go through the state sunshine or FOIA law and compare the crafts to two. Um, and seeing that, see, that's an issue right there. That, that you know we could work together and see what these state laws are. In fact, um, we can even get Sherry Story to come on even you know for an interview. That would be awesome. He knows see, about I that see, stuff. Yeah, I see so much opportunity for parents to partner with teachers again. And mm -hmm. I'm just really thankful that you came on today just to even start to scratch the surface of some of the issues that parents are facing. Um, I'm gonna wear yellow on Thursdays. I'm gonna ask all the moms, and if you're a teacher in America and you are concerned about what's being taught and you wanna show that you're, we're standing together aligned and we're gonna start reclaiming public education, wear yellow on Thursdays. Let's wear yellow on Thursdays, Ted. And mm -hmm. um, we'll push that out on our social media and share that. Um, I thank you for coming on today. I'm wondering, will you come on again? I'd love to continue this. And, and have some discussions, some further discussions. You and I have talked about a lot of different things plaguing uh, public education today. And, and I'd love to talk more about how parents and teachers, how we work together. Oh, absolutely. I would love to um, come on. You know, my thing is I've stayed in it as long as I have um, because I, you know, I'm, I'm an educator, but um, there's a lot that's wrong and, and a lot that has gone wrong. And so, Yes, I would absolutely love to come back and I look forward to working with any organization that that's willing and wanting to try to uh, stir the pot, make the noise and get some effective changes, you know, on. I will say this will not be easy because this is all it is tied into a very intricate maze. Um, but I think the sooner that we become educated and we have the conversations and then put together the game plans to move you know, that would be great. I would also say too, that if you are a parent or um, a teacher and you are on either one of the, the websites or web pages too, you know, and if you're comfortable um, to, when you do your yellow, go ahead and just post your pick. I mean, that's what we're doing on the conservative teachers page. Um, and we're getting pictures on Thursdays from all over the place, you know, from all, all different states. So, and it builds, it does, it shows support. And that's what I'm hearing also from teachers too. And that is if they know that the, the general public 
if they know that there's parents out there that's supporting them, it does make it easier for us yeah. to uh, hold a line. So, uh, well, most thank you for thank you for fighting the good fight in the classroom. You know, parents right now have never been pushed farther out of public school classrooms. Um, I'm very concerned about it. We're, we're working to get back in and we just appreciate brave teachers like you on the front line that are watching out for our kids. So thank you, sir. I appreciate your time today. I look forward yeah. to speaking with you again. And, uh, you know, normally I, I, I try to, I, I want to bring on a COVID lemonade moment in, in these podcasts, right? And to end with this COVID lemonade moment of uh, parents have never been more awake right? Yeah. Parents have, have right. never been more awake and never paying as much attention in, in the past 25 years in, in education as we are right now. And so let's seize the moment and work together. So thank you very much, Ted. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And yes. uh, thank you for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye now. Next up, we're going to answer questions from all of you joyful warriors around the country. Hey, Joyful Warriors. Normally, during this time, I answer some questions uh, from all of you around the country, but uh, today I've decided to do something a little bit different. Uh, Tomorrow is Thanksgiving uh, for us, and um, you'll probably be listening to this on Friday, but uh, I'm recording on Wednesday so that I can enjoy my day with my family uh, tomorrow without working. Um, But I had the honor to uh, go to Washington, D.C. this past week to represent parents from around the country and uh, to rally for parental rights. The Independent Women's Forum invited uh, Moms for Liberty and invited us to come and speak. And um, what a moment to be in the National Mall. Um, I brought my oldest daughter with me, uh, who's 16, and I thought it would be a good experience for her to see in action all of this work that we have been doing and fighting for our children and their education. Um, So I'm going to play that uh, clip at the end uh, of this segment, and you can hear the words that I was able to share um, with parents around the country. Um, But I wanted to to take this opportunity today to also say thank you to all of you. Um, We are so much stronger when we are united together. And um, in these uncertain times for our children and our families, um, parents are going to have to find their way through. And we are. I want to say thank you to teachers as well. Um, I know this has been an incredibly difficult uh, time to teach in. And uh, parents are thankful for you for um, helping to create a sense of normalcy for our children when you have been able to, um, allowing them to continue to learn and grow. Um, You are our partners in our children's education. And um, you'll hear me say often, we do not co-parent with the government, but we do want to partner with our children's teachers. We recognize how incredibly important uh, the partnership between the school and the family can be, and how positive the partnership between a teacher and, and parents and the child can be. So thank you to our teachers. Thank you to our parents fighting around the country for freedom and liberty. I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and um, I hope that the words that I was able to speak Um, in Washington, um, represent all of you and your feelings and thoughts well. Again, happy Thanksgiving. Good morning. My name is Tiffany Justice, and I represent Moms for Liberty. Uh, I'm a mom of four public school children, um, and uh, I'm excited to be here with you today. The first time that I said the words, we do not co-parent with the government, 
I was sitting on a school board in Florida. I served four years on that school board, unpacking a lot of my own children's backpacks. I got to see firsthand behind the education curtain. Now, a year later, here I am standing in Washington, D.C., and we do not co-parent with the government has become a rallying cry for parents across this amazing country. There is nothing more frustrating than seeing your child denied the education they deserve and feeling powerless to change it. This frustration is what has mobilized parents across the country. Moms for Liberty, which we launched in January, has already expanded to more than 150 chapters in 33 states, representing almost 70,000 parents. Moms for Liberty across the country embracing what is most amazing about America, the constitutional right to hold government accountable. We are not subjects to the government. The government is subject to we, the people. We are empowering parents to take back their fundamental rights to raise their own children. Unlike citizens of most nations, Americans elect education officials directly at the local level, allowing communities to decide for themselves who will help in the formation of their children. But our responsibilities as citizens do not end on election day. We continue to hold our elected officials accountable. And if they ignore their, our input, we will vote them out. Legislators, parental rights are not partisan issues. This isn't a Democrat thing. This isn't a Republican thing. This is a parent thing. Today, I issue a call to action for every school board member around this country. Repair the trust that parents once had. Here's how you do it. Transparency, accountability, and collaboration. Find a seat for parents at the table. Instead of treating them as the problem, make us part of the solution. You won't find anyone more motivated in the academic excellence of their children than parents. Finally, my message to our parents. We have been pushed out of public education for far too long. If schools don't want to find a seat for you, you need to bring your own. These are our children. You have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education, and medical care of your children. Our Constitution protects your rights to address the government that serves you. Start exercising those rights. Parents, your instincts to protect your children are spot on. Now is the time to pull back the education curtain. Inspect what is being taught to your children. No one knows your child, loves your child, and invests in your child like you do. You are their best chance. They are America's best chance. Invest your time, talent, bravery, and heart in reinvesting and reclaiming our schools. Moms for Liberty will help you to be joyful warriors for your children's education. Please find a chapter near you. Go to momsforliberty.org, find a chapter near you, or start one. Together, we can reclaim our children's education. Thank you.
Next up, we chat with Pat, Chapter Chair Coordinator for Moms for Liberty across the United States of America. Now it's time for my favorite segment of the podcast, Chat with Pat. Pat Blackburn, how are you doing up there in North Carolina? What's going on? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's chilly here, <laughs> and we've had to turn on the fireplace, and I um, just opened my back door to look out at the fire pit and make sure there's no books in there because... <laughs> oh, you're going to be sassy today, aren't you? You are going to be sassy. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, we are not burning books. My goodness, that has totally been the media narrative, hasn't it? I mean, you know, God forbid we have some concerns about like the pornography in the, in the libraries. And some of it is so graphic and so, I mean, there's incest and rape and, um, I mean, such really graphic uh, sexual stuff in these libraries and public schools around the country. And you would think that we were like, you know, some kind of prude or something. I've said before, I've got four kids. I know how the deed is done. I am not a prude, but I certainly don't need my 10-year-old being exposed to uh, sex at school. Uh, in that manner, right. right? Right. Well, and the thing of it is, is we all know our children best, and we watch them grow and mature, and we want to be the people who give them the information based on our own worldview, whatever that might be. Um, and, you know, when our own son was starting to grow older, and, you know, we, my, my husband and I talked about, you know, when is the appropriate time to have these discussions? Um, and so it's just, um, we want to have those discussions. We don't believe that it's um, the school's place to come in and take that away from us. And then um, also the concerns that the books are obscene and um, actually could po possibly violate state and um, federal law. And we're not talking about, you know, books that, you know, we're not talking about classics that in the past, you know, people said, oh, they, they tried to cancel Charlotte's Web or whatever. We are talking about vivid descriptions of pornogra pornographic things like pedophilia, um, rape, bestiality, um, masturbation. And for even, even in some cases in elementary and middle school, and then of course high school. And, and so parents are concerned and rightfully so. Yeah, no doubt. And it was interesting. I'm trying to pull up the, the interview. We did an interview with one of our moms from um, one of our chapters from Pennsylvania. And she had gotten up and read an excerpt from uh, the book, The Boys Aren't All Blue by, I believe it's George Johnson. And um, I wanted to pull up what he had had to say about it, and now I'm not going to be able to. But um, basically what he said was if a child is old enough to go through something, uh, some type of sexual abuse, I guess, or some type of situation um, in their lives that, that he felt that the school should be getting them ready for that. He felt that his book was a resource for uh, young people who may um, <clears throat> be exposed to incest and rape like he was. And um, my goodness, I mean, you know, there are horrible things that children go through at the hands of adults, but um, does every child have to be exposed to that and, and that type of trauma in their lives? And I think there are a lot of moms who are very concerned about the fact that, you know, they feel their kids are being robbed of their innocence. These are, 
you know, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old kids, they might still believe in, you know, Santa. They, um, if you're listening to this in your car with your children, well, we probably, I shouldn't say that. There are probably a lot of other things I've said so far today <laughs> that we've discussed we shouldn't be talking about. So earmuffs. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, this idea of, of the fact that your, every child must be exposed to every bad thing that might possibly happen uh, before it happens is crazy to parents. Correct. And, and I will say for children as well, um, there are, uh, there has been a lot of work done with teens and getting their perspective on sexual education in schools and the types of materials as we see this progressive movement to uber-sexualize children. Um, teenagers are reporting that they feel it's also inappropriate. They feel pressured to have sex when they don't want to. They feel like sexual objects. And, um, you know, they, they say there's a lot of things that they are being put, that are being put in front of them in schools that they are uncomfortable with. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's a, you know, here at Moms for Liberty, we believe in the parent right to bring up our children as we see fit. And uh, we reject the notion that because some ch children are unfortunately abused in some way, that our children would also have to uh, be the recipients of that abuse in written form. And so, um, you know, if some child has been abused, and they, they need that type of material as part of dealing with that abuse, that should be something between them, them and their counselor. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't be something that is uh, put out to the general you know, public for, for the, all the school children to have to read and deal with then. I agree, um, and I just want to state for the record, I mean, you know, write the book, publish the book, uh, put it in a, a public library somewhere, but on a library shelf in a public school um, is not an appropriate place for, for some of yeah. this material. And I think we're seeing that our moms um, are pushing back and, and are asking questions, and many parent, like many parents around the country. So, Pat, what steps can parents take if, if they're concerned about some of the material um, in, their, in their children's school? What steps can they take to address it? Well, I think the first step to take is to research the books. Many of the books that have raised concern are not are new books. Um, they've come about in the last, you know, four or five years, um, and they are being pushed uh, towards school libraries in a bulk bulk order, where the book company will say these are books that teens like to read, and you should order them and then they are ordered, they come to the libraries already barcoded and ready to put on the shelves. And many times the media assistants do not know what they have put there. Um, so one thing is to research the books and to understand what they are. Also consider the federal and state law as it applies to obscenities to minors. Um, and you know, if, you, if your state law doesn't support you as parents, then that is, you know, we advocate at all levels of government. That is something you want to ask possibly your governor and attorney general to look into, and then your rep state representatives as well. And then consider school board policy. Some school boards have a policy by which you can um, object to materials that are there in the schools. So consider whether or not your school district has a policy by which you can object. And if not, 
ask them to develop a policy because you know one of the problems that we're seeing is parents don't have a seat at the table and so we and and you said when you spoke in dc this week if schools are not going to give you a seat bring your chair absolutely bring your own seat that's that's right right. bring your own seat so it's time that we start to talk to our our school board members about developing policies that give us that seat at the table by which when we see something it's okay for us to say something and have that discussion and then also contact with your make contact with your district with your media person with your superintendent and with your school board members and try to have an open dialogue about the books um, about the content that you find uh, objectionable and even if necessary the state statute by which you feel that material violate. Yeah, I want to jump in for a second. I think that's a really important point. And I just want to say, you know, um, even in my own children's school district, we've had a lot of um, tension over COVID restrictions and masking and parents and and the school district haven't always seen eye to eye. But on this issue, uh, the school district has really... um, you know, taking this issue seriously. I think they there was a lot of, of surprise about some of the books that were in the libraries from the school board members in the district. And they have, um, up to this point, you know, they've pulled the books, they're reviewing the books to, for, to, to see what's in them and to see how it aligns and, and if it violates any state statutes or school board policies. So, you know, there, there is an opportunity to build relationships here. I, I think a lot of these books have made their ways into public school libraries, and uh, you'll find that your district and school board members may be surprised about that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, unfortunately, I mean, in your county where you are, you had a good situation where parents and the school district are working together to identify the books and to have a process by which to investigate the books. Um, but that's not the case everywhere. And so, you know, unfortunately, sometimes, as we have seen with our First Amendment rights um, and with uh, other things, we may have to consider legal measures. So that would be, um, you know, hopefully last resort, but it, it may be something you may want to consider um, if, if you've tried all those other things and, and you've not been successful. Thank you for that. I think that was a really good overview. So um, parents are going to get some pushback, aren't they? Oh, yes. And, you know, um, I just want to caution parents. This is not a witch hunt against every book that you find offensive. There's going to be material out there that you may not, um, you know, think is uh, beneficial. Um, You know, I know, I think I remember you saying you thought Captain Underpants was just not a great well, <laughs> I was never a big fan of Captain Underpants. Yeah, I didn't certainly didn't want it banned, but when my kids right, were picking exactly. books to read, I was like, maybe right. pick something other than Captain Underpants this week. Right. I yeah. Mean, we, this is not a witch hunt against every single thing that you think, well, you know, I just don't like Minecraft or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah, be. no, this and is a little so, bit more serious, isn't it? <laughs> correct. And, but we don't want to fall prey. We don't want to be the witch hunt. We don't want to be on the witch hunt. We want to be... Um, specific and careful about these books that we identify as being harmful. And so I suggest that if you're working with a chapter or you're working with a group, I suggest that you create some kind of rubric by which you determine whether this is actually something that falls into that category. But then also be prepared to get pushback. There are already organizations that are pushing back um, and saying that parents have no right to remove these books from schools. Um, and they, I mean, even in Indian River County, um, where you where you were talking about your school district, um, there were a there was a media 
personality there who didn't even look at the books but just automatically assumed that that the parents were there just to censor everything and so you have to be prepared to have that to get that pushback but kudos to the chapter chair there in indian river county jennifer pippen who um, went on the radio with this media person who um, had you know made such a judgment about her and the other parents and had a very good conversation on the radio so you have to be ready to have that conversation you have to have the truth and the facts behind you um, and then if they want to defend the indefensible they're going to um, but this is the discussion that we have to have now as a, a nation um, and so what I would say at Moms for Liberty we're always telling parents trust your instincts right if if you yeah. believe that things are happening in your district and you have some concern that they're adverse, adversely affecting your child trust your instincts start conversations ask questions um, never apologize for wanting to spare your children or uh, from, from exposure to something that you feel is harmful. Um, and, um, you know, Pat, I, I think it's, it's, there, there's courage, right? We're finding courage together to be able to stand up to, to some of these attacks. Yes. And um, I, I say that, you know, the best, the best way to um, stand up and, and fight against things that you are, your, your instincts are telling you are absolutely dangerous for your children is to find like-minded individuals who will stand with you. So um, we say it often and I'll say it again, uh, go to momsforliberty.org, look for a chapter in your area. And if there's not one, consider starting one because, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to stand up and um, take on these tough issues by yourself. But um, absolutely we have moms and dads around the country supporting you and helping you um, it makes it so much easier absolutely and the, and, and the last thing I'll say today is parents get back into schools um, get back in there and volunteer I know a lot of schools are still shut uh, to parents and visitors because of COVID um, but but find your way back into these classrooms and these libraries volunteer in the classrooms and libraries you can see the books that are uh, on the bookshelves. You can see the curriculum that's being taught. Um, I do believe the way we reform public education is through transparency uh, and accountability and collaboration. And I mentioned that um, when I spoke at the Independent Women's Forum. I mentioned it again. Um, you know, parents are, are, are want to partner with their children's uh, schools. Um, and uh, we, need to, we need to show our schools that we're going to be there to support and help as we move forward. Absolutely. I, I mean, I say all the time that we were the, we, we are the PTA moms and dads who show up and participate in the fundraisers. And when the teacher sends home projects for us to cut out for them, we're always happy to help and looking for ways to help. And so um, now's the time to get back into schools. COVID cut us out for a while, but now's the time to get back in and um, support teachers and support our classrooms again. Absolutely. So Pat Blackburn, it is a pleasure, as always, to speak to you. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. Oh, I'm excited to be um, with my family for Thanksgiving, and I know you are, too. You've got a full house over there, and um, I hope you have a great holiday and don't eat too much turkey. I won't. I won't. Well, thank you, Pat. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Have a great weekend. As always, we want to thank Pat Blackburn for her effort supporting joyful warriors around the country. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand, our children, 
our choice, our future.